tonight we begin a five-part series called Life Hacks. Now the phrase life hack, it's crept into the English language so much over the last several years that now the dictionary even includes a definition of what a life hack is. And here are some of them. It's an action that solves a problem, simplifies a task, or reduces frustration in one's everyday life. It's a strategy adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. It's a sim simple technique used to accomplish some familiar task more easily. So basically, a life hack is kind of like a shortcut. This behind me is the Longleat Heath Hedge Maze, the Longleat Hedge Maze. It's located in the garden of the Longleat Estate near the town of Warminster, England. It was first designed in 1975, and it is the world's longest hedge maze. It is made up of more than 16,000 English yew trees, forming eight-foot-tall hedges and creating 1.7 miles of tricky pathways, including several dead ends. The maze is so complex that it can take over 90 minutes just to walk through it, and that's if you don't keep getting lost. <laughs> I remember, I won't name names because some of you would know them, an elder years ago when the new Fredericton Bridge opened and you know you drive across the bridge and you take a ramp and you go underneath and then you have to change lanes to get out and go to the other side of the river or if you stay in your lane, you're going to come right back up on the bridge. Well, the first morning the new bridge was open, this particular elder saint who shall remain forever nameless, he got in his car on the north side of Fredericton, drove across the bridge, went down on the ramp, kept back coming back up on the bridge. He did that three times. He crossed the river three times before he figured it out. You can get lost in a maze, that's for sure. Thankfully, the Longleat Hedge Maze includes six raised bridges from which you can get a better vantage point. You can shortcut over a couple of rows of hedge and uh, hopefully you can find a shortcut to the central observation tower which stands tall over the maze and it also doubles as the exit. So those bridges, uh, they're like life hacks to every visitor who can find them. They're a shortcut to get you out. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God himself would just give us a, a life hacks manual to help us negotiate the twists and the turns of life, to help us make better decisions, to give us a better vantage point on our circumstances, or for those of us that love him and serve him, if he'd just give us a life hacks manual to help us please him better. Well, the good news, brothers and sisters, is he has, and uh, we call it the book of Proverbs. It's full of strategies and skills that will definitely reduce frustration and solve problems and simplify your life and help you serve God better. Proverbs contains several hundred wise sayings that King Solomon wrote or collected. He was the son of King David, the third king of Israel, and Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. The Bible tells us that. He ruled over the golden age of Israel when the nation lived in peace and prosperity. He was the one who constructed the glorious temple to the Lord and 
people from distant lands would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles just to be in Solomon's presence and to see his kingdom and to hear his wisdom and see all of his wealth for themselves. And it all started, Solomon's wealth and his wisdom and Proverbs and all of this, it all started with one prayer that he prayed. And here it is. Here's his prayer. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. And here's Solomon's humility as he began his reign. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the Bible tells us that that simple prayer, that sincere prayer, God, would you just give me wisdom? Would you give me an understanding heart? God was going to give Solomon anything he wanted. He told him that. He told him he'd give him wealth or fame or whatever he wanted, but Solomon asked, God, give me wisdom. Give me an understanding heart. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to Solomon, here's the deal. Because you've asked this thing and you have not asked for yourself long life, neither hast you asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies. You haven't asked to be a, a mighty conqueror. But you've asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. God said, I'm so pleased that that's what you asked for. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I've given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall there any arise like unto thee. There's nobody before you or after you that's going to be as wise as you, Solomon. And I've also given you that which you have not asked. I will give you riches and honor. You didn't ask for that. But because you asked for what pleased me and you asked for what put my kingdom first, not your kingdom first, I'm going to give you riches and honor anyway so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Now, I don't know about you, but Solomon's prayer reminds me of something that Jesus taught us. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things shall be added unto you. So many people get life backwards. They head off in pursuit of a career. They head off in pursuit of notoriety or popularity or fame or prestige or position. They head off in, 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 in search of friends or fulfillment or pleasure. But Jesus gave us the master key right there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then let God look after all of the rest. And there are many of us in this very room that have proved that to be true, that when you put God first, he looks after the rest. You know, Solomon was pretty smart even before he became the wisest man who ever lived. God said, Solomon, what can I give you um, to life? Can I give you the key of riches? Can I give you the key of honor? Can I give you the key of fame or the, the key of military might? Solomon said, hmm, give me the master key. Give me wisdom. Because God's wisdom is the key to everything else. And that's the book of Proverbs. Everybody, including every soul in this room, everybody watching online, we all want God's blessing on our life. But not everybody is willing to follow God's instructions to get that blessing on their life. And so, so many people go about life the wrong way, the long way, the hard way, when all the time God has provided what in this series we're calling life hacks and they lead directly to his blessing. 
The book of Proverbs definitely leads the way in the Holy Scripture when it comes to practical, useful tips on everyday life. It is the greatest how-to book that was ever written. The Hebrew word for proverb means a comparison because these short statements are meant to teach us how to choose between good or bad options. Or sometimes, what's even harder, to choose between good and best options. You know, there are some things in life that are good, but they're not best for you. There's nothing sinful about them. There's nothing wrong with them. But maybe the timing's off, or, or maybe the motive in your heart is off. And so sometimes it's not a choice that's just kind of black and white between uh, something that's bad and something that's good. Sometimes it's a choice between something that's actually good but something that would be best if you put God first. And so that's where Proverbs really helps us. But Proverbs are not paragraphs. Proverbs are just concise statements of truth. Someone said, and I like this, a proverb is a short sentence based on a long experience. That's actually pretty profound. A proverb is a short sentence based on a long experience. Somebody that's gone before us, somebody that knows the ropes and the road, they say something concise, short, and sweet, but it packs a punch, and we can learn from that. That's a proverb. Now, in your life and in my life, in this life, wisdom comes from three sources, and they're all important, and we, every one of us, we use all three, we hope, um, but they're not all equally good or equally effective. The first source of wisdom in your life is something that um, we also call the school of hard knocks. We would call it trial and error. That's one great way to get wisdom. You can get wisdom by trial and error. You can get wisdom by going through the school of hard knocks in your life. Your personal experience can certainly be valuable. But here's the problem with the trial and error method is that... You can waste a whole lot of your lifetime trying to learn that way. You can waste a whole lot of your life getting experience. And by the time you get experience, you don't have much time to live it out and enjoy it. By the time you get wise, you realize just how dumb you have been for all of those years. So it's not that effective. And here's the real problem with trial and error. You can live your life and you can say, I'm independent, I'm, I'm a rugged individual, I'll do this all on my own. But by the time you gain enough experience to know what's best for you, what's the will of God for you, all by your little old self, by the time you get there with personal experience, you've made some mistakes. And it may be that you still have to live the rest of your life with the consequences of the mistakes you made while you were trying to get personal experience to lead to wisdom. So that's the trial and error method. We all use it. We've all done it. But I don't highly recommend it. There's another method by which you can get wisdom in this life. And that's counsel from others. Other people's personal experience. Their proven experience. It can benefit you. But there's a catch. And it doesn't set well in this generation especially. You have to listen to them. You actually have to take their advice. 
And we, oh, oh my goodness, in two years of a pandemic, there have never been so many self-proclaimed experts in the history of humanity living all at the same time. Everybody's an expert on everything. And see, that's the thing. We don't want to learn from somebody else because somehow we feel that lowers us or that diminishes us somehow. But if we will learn from the proven experience of other people, people that may be older than us or maybe they just have more experience in a certain area, if we'll learn from them, if we'll listen to them, if we'll follow their advice, we can avoid wasting years of time. We can avoid making unnecessary and sometimes tragic mistakes. But let me tell you, it takes humility to learn from others. It takes humility. It takes a big person to humble themselves, to make themselves small enough to actually take counsel from somebody else with more experience. But we tell people all the time, if you're a new believer at CCC, if you're young in your Christian faith, the best thing you can do is find somebody that's ahead of you on that road living for God. Don't find a church mannequin. Find somebody that is in it to win it. Find somebody that they're a praying, worshiping, serving, amening machine. Find them and follow them. <laughs> yeah, you better say amen after that. <laughs> so counsel from others, that's a good way to get wisdom. Trial and error. That's your personal experience. Counsel from others, that's using others' proven experience. It can save you years of time if you'll listen. And then the third and the best, the highest and the greatest way to get wisdom is the word of God. Because God created you so he already knows his will for your life. And his will is found in his word. I'm not talking about specifics, should I buy the red car or the green car? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the big important things you need to decide. His will is found in his word. Let me tell you, let me give you three W words. Not Woodward, that's, that's one we can ignore. His will, his word, and his ways. You find God's will in his word. So even if you don't understand his ways... Learn to obey his will that you find in his word. It'll bless your life. It'll give you wisdom like nothing else. You may not understand why God requires that or why God asks for that or why God would say to his people, his body, his church, I want you to be like this or I want you to do like this. But if you'll learn to follow God's will that's found in his word, even when you don't understand his ways, it'll give you wisdom like you can't believe. And so this is why, brothers and sisters, the, the book of Proverbs is so very important. Its subject is wisdom. And, and Solomon makes it very clear that obtaining wisdom is far superior to just gaining knowledge or even gaining life experience. If you can get wisdom, that's the master key. If you can get wisdom, that cuts through all the rest. Because knowledge, and there's a lot of smart people in this room. There are people with degrees. There are people with a lot of life experience. There are people that have built companies in this room. There are people that ha have worked in the workforce for years and they have innate knowledge. But see, here's the problem with knowledge. 
Knowledge, no matter how smart you are, knowledge at the end of the day is ultimately just the accumulation of facts. But wisdom is the ability to see situations as God sees them. That takes you to a whole different level. Because you can get the facts. There are some people that can make every bad decision sound like a, a prayer, an, a, an answer to prayer or an evangelism opportunity. And really, all it is is a bad decision. I could elaborate on that, but I won't. But see, wisdom allows you to see situations as God sees them. Because you're in his word and his word is the ultimate source of wisdom. We could say it this way, and I think this helps. Knowledge is when you perceive with your mind. Knowledge is accumulating facts and accumulating all kinds of information. So knowledge is perceiving with your mind. Knowledge is all about understanding God's world. There are people that are knowledgeable in, uh, uh, you know, astronomy. I was trying to not say astrology and say astronomy, and I think I got both of them in the same word. There are people that are... Because you don't have to be intelligent on astrology. Just forget that. There are people that are intelligent on astronomy and biology. And there's, there are people that are really keen on mathematics. And they, they've got all kinds of, of information and knowledge they've perceived with their mind. And it helps all of us, thank God for them, thank God for that knowledge. Because it helps us understand God's world. But there's something greater than just having knowledge. It's wisdom. Knowledge is perceiving with your mind, but wisdom is receiving with your heart. So ultimately, while knowledge is about understanding God's world, wisdom is about obeying God's will. It may not seem like it on the surface. It may not seem like it at first. It may not seem like it to friends and the world around you. But when you obey God's will, you are wise. When you obey God's will, your life is going to be blessed. So somebody said, well, knowledge is power. And that's a phrase that we hear tossed around. Knowledge is power. That may very well be true. That if you've got knowledge, you're powerful. That may very well be true. But while knowledge is power, wisdom is perspective. Wisdom is knowing what you know and what you don't know. Wisdom is knowing how to take the knowledge that you have and use it in God's will and in God's way. It is very easy to be book smart but not Bible wise. It's very easy. Much more easy than any other generation in history because now we don't just have books printed on paper in hardback and, and soft cover at the library and in the bookstore. Now we've got a constant 24-7 feed of electronic information. And for some of you, it's like your phone is hardwired into your brain. You have so much information coming your way every hour of the day. And so it's easy in this generation to be book smart. It's easy to be uh, online smart and Bible dumb. And we can't do that. Because ultimately, here's the difference. Knowledge, that's wonderful. It's, it's perceiving with your mind. It's understanding God's world. But wisdom, that is something different. That's receiving with your heart. It is obeying God's will. So ultimately, you can only find God's eternal perspective in God's eternal word. You can't find it anywhere else. 
So if I could stir up anything in this little series, and it really is one of my goals, is to get uh, people reading through Scripture every day, accountable to each other, discussing it with each other, and we're already having a good time. We're just three days in. But, but I think if you can get the Scripture in your heart and in your spirit and in your mind and in your memory, in the hour of trouble, in the hour of trial, in the hour of temptation, you've got a fortification inside of you. Even when Jesus, God robed in flesh, had to fight the devil off in the wilderness, he didn't rely on a miracle. Thank God he didn't because I probably wouldn't be able to replicate that. But he fought the devil down and fought the devil back and fought the devil off standing on the word of God. It is written. Now that I can replicate. That I can duplicate. I, the, thy word have I hid in mine heart, the psalmist said, that I might not sin against thee. So I can get that word if I have a daily interaction with that word there's very little that's more important than your daily conversation with God how do you do that prayer is you talking to God and this book is God talking to you and you need that daily conversation if you're going to serve God and survive in this world so Proverbs takes this idea of wisdom and it puts it in the context of something that the scripture calls, especially Proverbs calls, the fear of the Lord. Now the fear of the Lord is not about dread. It's not about being terrorized by God. The fear of the Lord isn't about dread. It's about deference. Deference is when you respectfully submit to someone else's preference. So the fear of the Lord is not about me dreading God. It's about me deferring to God. That I let God call the shots in my life. That I let God make the rules in my life. Uh, the fear of the Lord isn't about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence for God. It's about recognizing that I have a place in his universe, but my place is not his place. I am not God and Lord and King over my own life. I am a thankful member of God's family. I am a grateful person redeemed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think I'm God. I'm not trying to be God. I definitely don't want to try to usurp the place of God in my life. That's what the devil did just before God kicked him out of heaven. Now I have a vested interest in going to heaven so I am not going to replicate what the devil did and try to usurp God's place. Now it's not always convenient to live with the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is a mindset. It's, it's a recognition that you're not God. So if you're not God, you don't get to choose what's right and wrong for your life. God chooses that and you submit to it. You defer to him. The fear of the Lord is not about dread. It's about deference. It's about deferring to God's word. I submit willingly and cheerfully to his word. And here's what Proverbs says. So many theologians call this the key verse of Proverbs. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end. That's the starting place. When you start deferring to the Lord in your daily decisions, when you start honoring God in the way you live, and when you start obeying his commandments, then you've begun 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's why you've got to have this relationship with God because the more you get to know somebody, the more you understand them. Some of you, that's exactly how your friendships work, right? The more you get to know them, the more you understand them. And the more you understand them, you either pull in close or you say, I'm out of here. Well, it's the same with God. The more you get to know this Holy One, this Savior, the more you understand Him. Let me tell you, the more I know of Jesus, the more I love Jesus. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I want to honor Jesus. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I want to worship Jesus. It's amazing. So tonight's lesson is just an introduction um, I, I just want to show you a couple of things that will help you as we're going through this book and, and, and we'll kind of dig down into the details over the next four uh, lessons on life hacks. Um, it, it, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll be beneficial and helpful to you. But tonight, I want to give you a couple of big picture items. Uh, if, if you think of that maze, tonight what I want to do is show you a couple of bridges I want to show you a couple of high vantage points that will help you negotiate the maze of the book of Proverbs because it is a little bit of a maze. In fact, it's unlike any other book in the Bible, really. So, so first, uh, we did this in our, our Facebook group th this week. Um, first, I want to just take a quick look at an outline of the book of Proverbs. And, and um, this is a video on the Facebook group, or you can find it online. This is by some wonderful folks that uh, they're called The Bible Project. They do outlines of all the different books of the Bible. They're short videos, uh, maybe six, seven, eight minutes long, and they're, they're actually mostly very well done. There's, every once in a while, there'd be something that I would disagree with, but it's so minor and so few and far between. And the one on Proverbs is really wonderful. And so this is the outline from the video, but I just want to pick up uh, the, the big pieces here for a second. Uh, if you look at the book of Proverbs, here's the bird's eye view. Chapters 1 to 9, this is Solomon's introduction. This is where he tells us what he's going to do. He tells us that he's going to introduce us to the concept of, of wisdom and that wisdom is not just about perceiving with your mind. It's about receiving with your heart. And he introduces it all. And then in that first section, it has two very important features. And the first feature is uh, 10 speeches from a father to a son. 10 speeches. They're, they're not long, but they're buried in chapters 1 through 9. 10 speeches from a father to a son. Now, it's pretty obvious when you read it that these are things that King David taught his son Solomon verbally as they lived life in the palace and as Solomon grew up as a boy and a young man, his father David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, he taught his boy lessons. David wasn't a perfect man. David made mistakes. David had spots in his life where his record was not pure and clean. He sinned and had to repent and ask God for forgiveness. So David wasn't perfect. But he taught his boy, Solomon, these wonderful life lessons. And now what the book of Proverbs is, at least in the first nine chapters, are ten speeches where Solomon is writing them down, not just telling them verbally. He's writing them down uh, for his own son and for his grandchildren. He wants to preserve these valuable life lessons. So in chapters 1 to 9, if you look for it, uh, they, they always pretty much start with the words, my son. That makes sense. 
sense, it's a speech from a father to a son. And then in the first nine chapters, we're also introduced to a character in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we just call her Lady Wisdom because the book of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. And this woman, Lady Wisdom, she's inviting us to eat from her table. She's constantly asking us to come and partake of God's perspective and God's commandments and God's blessing and God's rules. And so wisdom is a woman in Proverbs. Wisdom is personified as this lady, this gracious lady, this, this intelligent woman who's asking us all to come and partake of what she can share, which is the wisdom of the Lord. The tragedy is, and you see it throughout Proverbs, that many people, they don't want to eat from the table of the Lord's wisdom. They eat from the table of the world's wisdom. And by doing so, they destroy their lives. And we see that over and over and over again in Proverbs. And after those first nine chapters, and here's what's unique. When we think of Proverbs, we think of those little short one-liners, you know, all contained in one verse, a wise principle in one verse. Well, that happens in Proverbs but not so much in the first section. The first section contains more of the long speeches in Proverbs, and there are a few. But then we move into the second section, chapters 10 to 29, and that's kind of classic Proverbs. That's what we think of when we think of the book of Proverbs. It is the short one-liners, hundreds of them, that give us just these short, succinct, uh, you know, wisdom in a sentence principles, and and they are where we're going to spend a lot of our time as we go through this series because they're not just brilliant, they're not just book smart, they're wise, they're God smart. And if you do them, even if you don't understand them when you first start to do them, they will bless your life like nothing else you can do because you're following God's wisdom. And then finally we move on to the third and the final section of Proverbs and it's some poems for all of you that are poetical and flowery and eloquent and smart and whatever. There are some poems in Proverbs, poems from, poems from a man named Agur and, and poems from a, a young king uh, named King Lemuel. He's not an Israelite king. He's from another nation, but his mother teaches him things. So really it's like Proverbs starts with lady wisdom inviting us to come and partake of wisdom. And it ends with this mother uh, teaching her son wisdom. So uh, ladies, there's a woman on both ends of Proverbs and both of them are just smart as you can imagine. So this is a good book for you. Um, now that's the outline. And the outlines are important, but much more important to your understanding of the book of Proverbs than just having an outline is what I'm going to say next. You will miss so much in the book of Proverbs. In fact, you'll get confused by the book of Proverbs. You'll get frustrated with the book of Proverbs. And you might even get frustrated with God as you read Proverbs if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you. This is such an important, critical key to understanding what's going on in this book. So I want to just give you an observation, and and, and here it is. Uh, Let's say it three ways, just for clarity. Number one, Proverbs are not promises. They are probabilities. This book is not like uh, the book of Acts, 
where God says, if you'll repent and be baptized, Peter says that on the day of Pentecost, saying exactly what Jesus told them to preach in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name beginning at, at Jerusalem. So where did Peter get his message for Acts chapter 2? He got it from the words of Jesus. He went and preached, you repent and you be baptized in the name of Jesus and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now that's a promise. If you'll do what God asks you to do, he will do what only he can do. That's a promise. You can take it to the bank. But the book of Proverbs is written different than basically every other Bible book. This is King Solomon who has connections with all kinds of nations and countries all around him. And he collects these wise sayings. That's why you'll even see some of the very same principles from Proverbs in other ancient writings from other ancient cultures. Solomon was a collector. He collected all of these. The book of Proverbs may not have even been put together during his reign. In fact, we know some of it was put together by King Hezekiah who lived many years later. But what he did was he accessed Solomon's library. He accessed the principles of wisdom that Solomon had collected and put them together. And it became the book of Proverbs. So it's Solomon's book because he did the collecting. Solomon collected wise principles from as many places as he could find. And that's why what is written in the book of Proverbs, it's not on the same level, if I can say it that way, as a promise in the book of Acts or in the Gospels or in the epistles. These are probabilities. They are principles, wise principles from the collected wisdom of all kinds of people. And Solomon wrote them down for us. Let's say it a different way. Proverbs, they focus on... The expected, what should happen, what, what is likely to happen, what's expected to happen if you obey the principle. Proverbs focuses on the expected. Here's what Proverbs doesn't do. Proverbs doesn't focus on the exception because there are exceptions to these principles. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples in a minute, but right now, just, just one comes to mind. You know, Proverbs tells us that if you're diligent and you work hard, uh, you're going to have money. And somebody's thinking, wait a minute. I've been working two jobs and I don't have money. And Proverbs says that if you're lazy and you sleep in every day and you're a sluggard, you won't have anything. And we all have heard about somebody that's lazy and sleeps in every day and they're a sluggard and their rich uncle died and left them a million bucks and they are living large. It's like, what's wrong with that? God promised, no, this isn't a promise. This is a probability. This isn't about the exception. It's about what is expected if you follow the principle of wisdom. Let me say it a third way and then we'll move on. Proverbs tells us what should happen. But it doesn't tell us everything that could happen. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, life is life. And life can take some terrible twists and turns at any unexpected moment for any one of us. And uh, when that happens, you don't want to be sitting somewhere blaming God, saying you didn't keep your word because it says this in Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs contains probabilities, not promises. The book of Proverbs teaches us what we should expect. It doesn't say every exception to the rule. The book of Proverbs tells us what should happen if we do this. It doesn't tell us every kind of, uh, of twist of fate 
that, that could happen. That's the book of Proverbs. It's different than any other book in the Bible. I want to give you a couple of examples here. And, and these examples, uh, the first one is just whatever. But the second one is so very important. Because I know Christian people, good, godly, apostolic believers who have beat themselves up for years thinking they are doing something wrong because they thought this verse was an absolute promise when it was a probability. Let me show you a couple of verses. Proverbs 10 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. In other words, if you serve God, if you love God, if you live for God, you're going to live a long time. I wish that was true in every case because we've had far too many funerals and far too many goodbyes for people that were far too young. So that's a probability. It's not an absolute promise. The fear of the Lord should prolong your days. Most of the time it does. Uh, you live for God, you keep his commandments, you're not involved in a whole lot of immorality and addicted behaviors and all kinds of stuff. That's the principle. That's the, the probability. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. You live godly, you're going to live a long time. You live wicked, your life's going to be cut down in your prime. That's not always true. Now, I have a list of people that I think God should take in lieu of the people he has taken. I do have a list. Jesus and I have talked about my list. Thus far, he has not paid any attention to my list. I don't like saying goodbye to good, faithful, godly people who did everything right and lived every commandment that they possibly could live and they're gone and we're mourning their loss. And I also don't like it when some of the most perverted wickedness is allowed to just flourish and prosper and it seems like God does nothing. You see, if you think that verse is an absolute promise, you blame God. And here's one that's even closer to home for so many people. Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I wish I could give back to every uh, parent and grandparent who has cried bitter tears and blamed themselves because there's a backslider in their family. And they read that as a promise and they say, I must have sinned. I must have done something wrong. I must have failed. God must not be pleased with me. And they read that as an absolute promise instead of a probability. That if you train your children right, and if you involve them in the church and the work of God, and if you pray over them and teach them the cute little Sunday school songs and read the Bible to them and you, you, you live right at home, the probability is, the overwhelming possibility is they're going to end up serving God just like you. But every once in a while, this sin-cursed planet catches up with somebody's child and they make a decision that grieves their father and hurts their mother and they head off in a totally different direction. And so that parent or that grandparent, that mom or dad is left crying bitter tears and saying, but Jesus, in the Bible it says, when they are old, they won't depart from it. What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong, my brother or my sister. It's just life on a sin-cursed world. 
The general rule is that serving God will result in a long, blessed life. The general rule is that teaching your children correctly will result in them serving God too, just like you. But let's be honest in church tonight. We all know cases where that didn't happen. And that's why we need what the Apostle Paul called all of the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. You can't just take one verse and pull it out of context and then get some twisted understanding of God's will or God's word. More specifically, what we should do in the case of Proverbs is don't just read Proverbs. Don't just think about Proverbs. Think about all the wisdom books together. There's Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Proverbs and there's Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. and So, so think about them all together, the wisdom books. You see, one of the wisdom books is the book of Job. Job's life literally fell apart. Job trained up his kids in the way they should go. Job prayed over his children. Job made sacrifices for them just on the remote possibility, the chance that, that they might sin. Job was a good, godly man. The Bible calls him perfect and upright. And you know who said those words? God himself said those words about Job. Behold my servant Job. He's perfect and upright. So Job should have lived, according to Proverbs, this long, trouble-free life. And all of Job's children, they should have been old servant God, just like Job. It should have been. But Job's life literally fell apart. And he lost everything. But here's the thing you got to realize about Job. When he lost everything and he didn't understand God's ways and he couldn't understand what God was allowing in his life, Job still served God faithfully. He refused to do otherwise. He continued praying. He continued worshiping. He continued all of that. And then if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, which... I told Pastor Matt we were doing a podcast the other day. I said the book of Ecclesiastes is probably the most depressing book in the Bible. It's written when Solomon is old and he's kind of disillusioned and he's seen a lot of human beings over the course of his life and a lot of them have let him down. And I said to Pastor Matt, if you're going to read the book of Ecclesiastes, make sure you read all the way through. Don't stop in the middle or we'll find you on top of the Fredericton Bridge ready to jump off. And if you jump off the wrong spot, there's going to be that elder going around the ramp and circling around. You're going to jump right on his car. But I digress. Book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is so old and he's so depressed and he's so disillusioned. He actually concludes that book by saying all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says it over and over and over again. It's depressing, this life. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12 and 9 that because he was wise, even when he was depressed, even when he was discouraged, even when he was disillusioned, Ecclesiastes 12 and 9 in the last chapter says because he was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. 
Here's what Solomon did in his older years. I'm still going to teach the principles of God. I'm still going to teach the word of God. Even though I've seen some situations that totally confused my mind and totally defied my logic and I didn't understand what God was allowing, I'm still going to teach the people knowledge. And he ends that book by saying, so here's the conclusion. In spite of disillusionment and depression, in spite of all kinds of situations where God's ways confound your thinking, fear God and keep his commandments. That's Solomon's conclusion. And, and, and so just because life throws you a curve, it doesn't mean God's dropped the ball. Life is not fair, but our God is just. He keeps his promises. But don't get thinking some obscure verse in Proverbs is a promise when it's a probability. That will help you understand God's word, but more importantly, that will help you not get bitter against the God you serve. Jesus has never done me anything but good. Oh my. I wish you'd lift up your hands. I know this a lot of just kind of steady teaching, but just lift up your hands and thank him for being good to you. In the middle of what you don't understand, in the middle of some suffering and pain, in the middle of some disappointments, uh, just, just thank him for his goodness because I promise you he's been good to you. I promise you he's been faithful to you. I wish this great church would lift up your voice for a second and just fill this room with worship. I'm almost finished. I thank you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I don't always understand your ways, but I always trust your will. I worship you, Jesus. Heal someone's heart in this service tonight. Heal someone's heart who's watching online and they haven't understood. They, they, they were a little bit bitter. They were discouraged and disillusioned with you and with your word. Heal someone's heart tonight. I pray it in Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name. So let me head for a close tonight. Thank you for your kind attention. The book of Proverbs is a book of instructions on how to live a godly life here on earth, but also how to be assured of a reward in the life to come. Proverbs imparts God's wisdom. So no, they should not be read as promises, but rather as probabilities, as precepts and as principles for everyday life. And at the end of the day, the greatest wisdom of mankind, it doesn't matter what country or culture it comes from, the greatest wisdom of mankind will be insufficient to deal with issues of the heart. We can fix your body. We can even fix your physical heart. You can go in for all kinds of, we'd almost say miraculous surgeries and procedures today that will extend your life. And it's wonderful what doctors and surgeons can do. They're, they're brilliant and they're talented. But they can't fix your spiritual heart. At the end of the day, none of the wisdom of man can fix the issues of the heart. And that's why Proverbs ultimately points us 
beyond man's wisdom. Every principle that you'll read in Proverbs, it's good. It'll bless your life. It's likely that you're going to look back on that and say, thank God I started living that principle years ago. But ultimately, every verse in Proverbs is designed to point you beyond man's wisdom because man's wisdom has an end. Man's wisdom has a limit. Man's wisdom has all kinds of limitations and insufficiencies. And so Proverbs ultimately points us to the wisdom of God and the good news, woo, the good news for New Testament apostolic believers is the wisdom of God is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus in your life, there is no way to be truly wise. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, In whom, in Jesus, in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why you can get in the presence of God and you can go to worship in Jesus and all of a sudden problems fall away and, and all kinds of hurt fades away because you're in the presence of the one who embodies every piece of God's wisdom. But practically, Pastor Raymond, how do we get that godly wisdom in our everyday life? How, how do we make that wisdom that's in Jesus, how do we come up with a life hack that's going to help us in our everyday life. Well, I'm glad you asked because I got three things for you in closing. Pastors always have more than one thing in closing. Never does a pastor say in closing and at the end of the sentence, you're free to go. Never. That has never happened in the history of Christianity. How do you get that kind of godly wisdom? Three things. First of all, you need to fall in love with this book. You need to have interaction with this book. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? In all wisdom. You get this book in your spirit and you've got wisdom. You get this book in your mind and in your heart and you've got wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, what did he just do? He made a transition from reading the word of God to worshiping God because you can hardly read the word of God without worshiping God. And you can hardly worship God without having a desire to get into the word of God. So we, we, that's what we do when we come together. We admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. The first thing you can do, it's a practical step if you want God's wisdom in your life Get yourself in daily interaction with the Word of God. You do not have to read five chapters or ten chapters or a whole book of the Bible in one setting. Read five verses. Read a chapter and meditate on that and pray over that and let God speak to you. And I've said it so many times. Make your Bible your Bible. Write in it and cry over it and let there be tear stains on it. And, and, and don't worry, I'm a perfectionist. I'm not even a recovering perfectionist because who would want to recover from perfection? So I'm not even a recovering perfectionist. I'm just, I'm just a perfectionist. I don't like books that are all crumpled up and, you know, the pages all bent except for the Bible. And I don't disregard or not take care of my Bible. But your Bible should be the most marked up book you've got. Because if you mark that book up, that book's going to mark your heart up and it's going to change you. You need a daily interaction with the Word of God.
Secondly, if you want to get this wisdom of God in your life, the second thing you need to do, it's just a practical step every day is pray. James said, if any of you lack wisdom, I need God's wisdom. I need God to tell me what to do. I need to know what God's will is. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's prayer. And God will give to all men liberally. He'll upbraid not. He won't hold back. It will be given to you. You've got to pray if you want God's wisdom in your life. And thirdly, and I'm glad to bring you this one, preaching is another way that you get God's wisdom in your life. It's why we're in Bible study tonight. It's why we listen to pastor preach on Sunday. Preaching. Here's what Paul said. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. The world with all of its wisdom couldn't find God. They, they couldn't know God. They couldn't discern God. They couldn't understand God. But it pleased God in his wisdom. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I speak to every person in here. I love everybody in this room. And I speak to everybody watching us online. And I thank you for being with us tonight. You need a preacher in your life. You need a pastor in your life. You need a church in your life. You need a church family in your life. You need times like this when you get together in the house of God in your life. Because here's why. You say, that's just foolish that I'd have to go to a building and listen to a guy preach. No, by the foolishness of preaching, God imparts his wisdom into your life. You need that in your life. So while the book of Proverbs deals with life hacks for everyday existence, I want to leave you with one final verse from Proverbs because Proverbs also contains an eternal perspective that's often missed. And I want to give somebody hope because somebody, you're just still kind of filtering through what we said about promises versus probabilities and maybe you've prayed that scripture for years God I trained up my child in the way they should go and I don't want them to depart from it and and I don't want to leave you without hope tonight because there's another side to Proverbs that although it's not the main purpose of this book it's still there it's woven into the fabric of Proverbs the book of Proverbs also contains an eternal perspective not just an earthly perspective. One of those verses is this one, Proverbs 12 and 28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof, there is no death. Let me read that again. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof, there is no death. God's people Never die. If you're God's child, your life never ends. So here's the point Solomon's making. The probabilities of Proverbs may not all come to pass in this life, but you can be assured that the promises of God, they're either going to come to pass in this life or they will come to pass in the life to come. Because in the pathway of God's righteousness, ultimately, there is no death. Either you're going to get your answer here on earth, or you're going to get your answer someday in heaven. Because your life and my life doesn't end 
at the grave. So my advice to you, based on the book of Proverbs, is no matter what comes, what you don't understand, what disappoints you or disillusions you, you keep walking with God faithfully and you keep praying to God fervently because living wisely is always worth it. Living according to God's word is always worth it. That's the ultimate life hack, by the way. Always live according to God's word. Right now, as we're here in service tonight, we have precious friends. They're more than friends. They're family because they're church family. We have precious friends that are sick in body. And we're praying for healing and praying for an answer. But let me tell you, none of us are going to give up serving God if we don't get the answer we choose. Nor are those precious people going to give up serving God if they don't get the answer they choose. Because we've collectively made a decision as God's family. We're going to serve him regardless of the outcome. We're going to serve him regardless of the circumstances. We're going to love him regardless of what answers come or don't come. Now, we don't have any other instruction in the word of God but to pray for healing. So we're going to pray for healing. We're going to knock on heaven's door for healing every chance we get, every opportunity we have. But we say with Job because the book of Proverbs gives us the probabilities, but Job gives us what happens if the probabilities don't come true. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't know when I'm coming out of this trial, but when I come out, I'm coming out as gold. I don't know how I'm getting out of this. I don't know when I'm getting out of this. I don't know if God's going to bring me out or the doctor's going to bring me out or something else is going to bring me out. But when I come forth, I'm coming forth as gold. See, that's what Proverbs ultimately teaches us is you set it in the context of the entire will of God. Mm. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. He passed away 10 years ago this past Sunday. His name was Bishop Don Johnson, and he traveled and sang, and he was a preacher and a pastor. He was the superintendent of our sister organization, the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, for nearly two decades. He's a wonderful, good, and godly man. And many of you heard him sing or had his recordings. He was quite a songwriter. But his signature song was, God is so good to me, I can't complain. And I feel just like that when I think of Jesus and his goodness. Sometimes the clouds hang low, and I'd like to see them go. And I do ask the question, Lord, why so much pain? But he knows what's best for me, even though I cannot see. So I'll just say, thank you, Lord. I can't complain. God is so good to me. So very good to me. More than this world could be. He's so good to me. Oh, my goodness. His spirit came to me and gave me liberty. God is so good to me, I can't complain. <laughs> 
Would you lift up your hands? I'm finished. Would you lift up your voice and would you just worship him? There's a beautiful presence of God in this room in response to your worship, in response to your prayer. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you.